Now, can somebody make the connection? Why would I... Now, you know what I'm going to do the series the, or the books I'm going to be using all next year in my Sunday morning uh, preaching. But why would I take... Uh, the last Sunday of the year, why would I preach out of Ephesians? I mean, I've got the whole Bible I could preach out of today. Um, why would I choose the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 4, where you want to turn. Why would I pick the book of Ephesians? Why would I be using Ephesians right before I start 1 Timothy? Because, you ready? You, all, all of you know the answer. Now, when I say it, you're going to say, oh yeah, that's right. Because where did, where did Timothy pastor... Uh, when Paul wrote 1 Timothy, where was Timothy pastoring? In Ephesus. Now, obviously, when Paul penned this book, the book of Ephesians, Timothy had not been assigned the pastoral role of the church in Ephesus yet. It's two or three years away. Paul is in prison, his first imprisonment in Rome. So we're about three years away before, before Timothy was assigned the role of pastor at the church, the church at Ephesus, and very significant role that, that Timothy played because Paul spent more time at Ephesus than he did anywhere of all his three missionary journeys. Really, there was probably four missionary journeys. Just three of them are mentioned in the book of Acts. But of all the places that Paul went and preached the gospel and discipled believers, he stayed in Ephesus longer than anywhere else. And that's why the Bible said that the gospel spread throughout all that part of Asia because of the ministry of the church at Ephesus. And historically, Ephesus was the largest church in Asia and probably the largest church during the New Testament days. So I just wanted to pick a passage out of the book of Ephesians and deal with the church. Because if we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, which we call them pastoral epistles so these when Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus they were pastors in local churches and so we're going to learn about church life but I wanted to take a passage here in Ephesians chapter 4 and talk to you this morning about church life I know every time I go to the doctor and uh, what what do they normally do the first thing before even the doctor or the nurse practitioner comes in and asks me any medical questions, what are the first thing, and this probably happens to you too, what do they normally do? They take your vital signs. I, I try to stay away from, the, from weighing me. I throw out a number, and I'm hoping they'll accept it, right? And sometimes I say it's really none of your business. But, but so I'll say, hey, I just weighed about four years ago, and it's this, you know, so, so, and I move on. I try to make it to the room without pass by the, the, the scales. But anyway, so you usually take your vital signs, you know, whether it's blood pressure, O2 levels, you know, heart rate, all those things they might do, four or five vital signs. And, and I don't care how often you go, that's one of the first things they do is they do your vital signs. Well, when you're reading Ephesians, really when you're reading Ephesians, if, you're, if you read Ephesians 1, that's doctrine. But when you get to Ephesians 2, towards the end, 2, 3, and 4 are about the vital signs of the church. It's talking about life in the church and the growth of the church and the priorities of the church. And really, uh, there are things in Ephesians 4 that all of us need to make resolutions about. Because when you read it, you discover how woefully short you are falling based on what Scripture demands uh, 
of believers. Now, this is something I discovered this week, and I've really never thought about this, but this is, this is why it's not easy. And, and y'all know why it's not easy. Y'all know we're in a spiritual war. It's been going on we, in the New Covenant sense. It's been going on for 2,000 years. You, you know we're, we're, in, we're in enemy territory. We know the God of this age is in opposition to, to the Lordship of Christ and the salvation that is in Christ. We know, we know we're in the midst of a spiritual battle, and, and that's one reason why it is so difficult. Um, and I was reading uh, the Gospel of Matthew this week, and, and there was a passage that struck me as just in kind of an illustration of the Christian life. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but uh, this is when Jesus, uh, when he walks on water well no this is when he get this is after he feeds the 5,000 that's right and the Bible says uh, because I read it in, th- in all the gospels he gets in the boat so it says he feeds the 5,000 and then he goes gets in a boat and so the other disciples realize that he's he, he's in the boat so they go and get in the boat with him and this is where and then they start rowing across the Sea of Galilee eight ten miles and there's a storm that comes up. And so the picture, get it, they get in the boat with Christ. They believe in Him, so to speak. This is the disciples, the twelve. They believe in Him, so they get in the boat with Him. And then the Bible says a storm came up on the Sea of Galilee, which was not uncommon, but it's interesting what Christ does. So they're freaking out, even though they're fishermen and they've been on the water all their life, they're freaking out over the storm. And so finally they wake Jesus up because he was asleep. And, and, you know, don't you care all that. And you remember what did Christ, what he got up and what did he do? He rebuked the storm. It's interesting that he rebuked the storm. As if uh, nature had, had life. And so many scholars think that maybe that storm on the Sea of Galilee there was demonically inspired. So it says that Jesus rebuked the wind and the rain and the seas. And of course, when he rebuked them, you know, they calmed down. But, you know, that's really, to me, it's a short little illustration of the Christian life. We, we believe in Christ and symbolically we've gotten in the boat with him. And from the moment you got saved, life is nothing but a storm, a spiritual battle. And when we don't trust in and walk by faith, the storm scares us more than the Lordship of Christ affirms us. And folks, you're going to find that to be true, but where are you going to find your solace and where are you going to find your strength in the Christian life is not living a life of isolation. The Bible over and over again tells you you're going to find that in the church. If you want to grow into Christ's likeness, the church has to be the center of your discipleship. If you're going to use your gifts and abilities, the church needs to be the center of where that takes place. So with your Bibles open to, to Ephesians chapter 4, Robbie read, read us part of chapter 3. To him be, I love chapter 3 verse 21 is a great memory verse. To him be glory in the church forever, basically. And so I want to pick up at chapter 4. I'm going to drop down to verse 7 and read down through uh, verse 16 or 17. I'm reading out of Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin at verse 7. 
but grace. If you're not able to come to the funeral, I do want to tell you this, that when I visited uh, Patricia the other day, she, she gave me uh, Wade's notes about his own funeral. Uh, obviously, they had pre-planned, and, and one of the notes on there, he talked about he wanted Walter to sing the en- at the end of the service. He wanted Bonnie to sing, uh, and then he wanted me to preach. He wrote all this, and he wanted me to preach in the middle. But this is the first, one of the first lines says, Because God saved me by grace, I want Bonnie to sing Amazing Grace. Then, and then the second one, after he has me in there, he says, And because God has secured me by His grace, and I'm secure in my salvation because of Christ, I want Walter to sing it is well with my soul. Isn't that awesome? I was telling somebody in the office a while ago, I, I, and I have his Bible. I have his Bible with all of his notes in there. That's a way to start a funeral. When I can come to the pulpit and talk about the salvation that is in Christ and Christ alone. Everything I'm going to talk about this morning is based on verse 7. It's because of the grace of God. If, if you're here today and you're not what you ought to be as far as your life in the church, It's by the grace of God you can return. If you're here today and God has blessed you and you've used your gift and abilities and you're involved in church life, it's not because you're super special. It's because the grace of God has been poured out on you and you've been walking by faith. I'm at verse 7. But grace was given. That's Folks, that's all throughout the New Testament. Grace is given. right? You, You couldn't earn it. By the way, you don't deserve it, do you? I don't deserve it. And I'm assuming if I know I don't deserve it, you know you don't deserve it. But grace was given. Just think how profound that is. We think about the gift of Christmas. This is exactly what this verse is talking about, the first part of it. But grace was given to each one of us. Now, Paul's talking to saved people. This is an epistle to the church at Ephesus. Paul's in prison. It's one of the four prison epistles, and so he's talking to believers. So so people that are saved, born again, and spirit-filled, you understand this, but unsaved people will not understand the significance of the church nor of the Word of God in the life of a believer. But Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now he's going to explain that, but remember it's all free. It's all based on what Christ has accomplished and it's based on the will of Christ when He ascended. Now let's keep reading. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, I think this is, comes out of Psalm 68. He, he, he quotes part of Psalm 68. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives And he gave gifts to men. Let me read a couple more verses and explain that. And it says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? So So is he saying the lower regions below the earth or the lower regions is the earth? You can take it either way. He who descended is the one who also ascended 
far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Let me, let me stop right there. Now, of course, I've used this several times in several cross-references, but you, you understand that Paul's in a Roman world. He's, he's uh, being watched over by Roman guards. Uh, he uses that later in Ephesians 6 when he talks about putting on the full armor of God. So the Roman military is in his mind, and this is what Rome would do. And this, they weren't the only uh, power to do this in history, but they would conquer. Okay, Christ descended, then he ascended. This is what Christ did. In order to ascend, he had to first descend. It's just like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Is, is it the spirit that comes first or the flesh? I mean, so you have to live in the mortal life to experience immortality. So he says, life in the flesh comes first, then glory with Christ, is what Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, for Christ, in order to ascend and, and sit at the right hand of the Father, and ha- a name that's above every name, what did Christ first have to do? He descended, then he ascended. And so what, and it says, and he gave gifts. And, and you understand what, what the Ro- Romans would do when they would conquer a people, whether it was a, a city, a name, well, whoever it was, they would take all the spoils, and they would distribute the spoils among their citizens. So when, when Rome had a victory, the whole, the whole nation benefited to some degree from that victory because the spoils were shared among the people. Well, so, so what Paul's doing with this to tell the believers at Ephesus is that Christ descended, won the victory on the cross. He said himself, it's finished. He ascended, and that when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. By the way, what's the first major event in the New Testament that, expl- that kind of shows us that Christ is at the right hand and He is distributing gifts? What's the, what's the first major event? Matter of fact, it's where we say the church was born. What event was it? Pentecost. And, we, and what, what did He give? What was the gift that He gave? He gave one major gift at Pentecost. What? It was the third person. That's right, He sent the Spirit. And the Spirit came. And so, so that was just a picture that Jesus was going to fulfill everything that He said. So Christ ascended and He gave gifts to men, spiritual gifts to men. Anthropos, mankind, he, all of us. It says that. Each one of us. Now, now we're going to do a study on spiritual gifts. You saw that in your, in your bulletin. Starting Wednesday night week on the 10th. In January and February, we're going to study spiritual gifts. And uh, we're going to learn about some of the major gifts the Bible says. We know they're multicolored, so you and I, you may have the same gifts I have, but they demonstrate different because we're different. But we're going to learn how those gifts are distributed. We're going to learn how they manifest in the local church and why in the world are you supposed to be using them. And... What's the problem if you're not using them? And what's the consequence of that? Well, let's keep reading. So that's when he says, so he descended, verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave, and he gave. Now, we could study this for a very long time, but, and I think we dealt with this a few, a few months ago, but And he gave, it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, 
and the shepherd teachers. Now, the shepherd teacher is, is the same person, okay? The way the language is. So Jesus gave, so he gave gifts, right? He's going to give gifts to every one of us. But then, as part of giving gifts, another thing he does is he, he gives people or he gives men to the church. So he gave, so he called the apostles, and this is why the Bible calls the apostles the, the foundation of the church, Christ being the cornerstone. So he called these disciples, and he gave them to be the foundation of the local church, starting in the book of Acts. So it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers. Now, why did he do that? And here we go. Now, this is where your spiritual gifts come in, and this is where my role, Robbie's role, the minister, whoever's on stage, this is one of our responsibilities. Look what it says. So it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd and teachers, and this is why, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. So Christ, now, now think about how exclusive this is. Now, this has been going on for 2,000 years, but this is how God started the church and how He builds the church. Christ ascended. So, in our day and time, there's no more apostles. We, re we can read where John was the only one living when we read the Bible. All of the others had died. And so, when John died, that was the last apostle that was alive. But now, it's pastor-teachers. And so, this pastor-teachers are here, and the Bible says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. So um, that word equip, uh, it's um, really the... Let me give you... Uh, Y'all know, some of you have heard this. It's a great illustration. But if I'm not mistaken, the first time in the Greek New Testament, the word equip, this, the original word, was used in the Bible in the New Testament was uh, when Jesus was calling the apostles or disciples when, when he's walking by the Sea of Galilee and it says, and he saw some fishermen. And uh, two of them were, were fishing and two of them were working on their nets. The word equip is related to the word when Jesus saw two men mending their nets. It's translated mending their nets. They're repairing they're strengthening. And so that's the idea of equipping. And of course, obviously, if you're looking at the context, you can't go fishing if your net's got splits in it, right? So, so the church can't be the church like it should be the church until God's people are equipped. And one of my main responsibilities is equipping. I'm some, God's going to hold me accountable. You can go read it in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to be held to a greater accountability because I am supposed to be a quipper with the Word. I mean, that's just what the Scriptures teach. So it says here that, that we're here, pastors, staff, associate pastors, youth pastors. Part of our responsibility, primarily mine, but also there, is to equip the saints. But what are the saints equipped to do? Look what it says. For the work of ministry. Now, this word ministry is, is not the word for pastor. It's not the word for preaching. It's not the word for theology. It's not the word for didactic. It's, it's just a simple word. The word ministry is really the, 
the root word for service. So all of us are called, whether it's me or you, we're, called, we're saved, we're called, and one of the major things God calls us to do is serve in the local church. That's what He says. To equip the saints for the work or the service, for the work of service, for the work of service. Remember, I've told you several times, you can go to Peter, when Peter talks about spiritual gifts, you know, the, Paul talks about it twice, spiritual, specific spiritual gifts, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. But Peter mentions them in 2 Peter, and he breaks them down, and y'all have heard me say this a dozen times, into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. So no matter what our spiritual gifts would be, if it's not a speaking or teaching gift, all of us are servants. We're just serving the church. So to equip the saints for the work, for the work of ministry, or for the service of ministry, however you want to say that, for the work of ministry or the work of service. So then you have to think, and it goes back to, to each one of us. To each one of us. So, we don't have time to pursue this thought, but let's, you wonder if you were to do an inventory and you take your three by five index card and let's write down, not that you want to be proud about it, you don't want to be boastful, not thinking that you're somebody because it's God's grace and gift that's been given to you, but what would you write down that, you're involved in that would be considered work of service. What, what are you doing uh, to serve the body? Let me, let me tell you, this is where the church is. People in our culture, and this has been going on for years, but especially post-COVID, and I think it, I think it doubled down or the devil doubled down you love to be anonymous. I love to be anonymous. But the Bible says we can't be anonymous and be true disciples. Because we're part of what? A body. We're part of a body. We're part of a building. We're part of a sheepfold. There is no anonymity for believers. It just can't, can't be that way. You, so, But the world that we're in... And this is what we're about. And this is one reason we need to have our meeting next Sunday because we're going to make some changes. Is mega churches, people, or even when I say mega, just statistically they say a mega church is 2,000 or more. And, you know, there's so many churches that are that big. Well, you can go to those churches. I had a guy tell this is the honest truth. I mean, this is a good friend of mine t- told me that he, he goes to First Baptist of Auburn. No, First Baptist of Opelika. Auburn's the one that don't believe anything. First Baptist of Opelika, uh, don't go to First Baptist Auburn, but First Baptist of Opelika. He said he went there, he was there for five years, and he said every Sunday somebody would introduce themselves to me asking if I was a new member. And he said, and I thought the same thing about other people. I did, so you, you get into large churches, and you can be anonymous. When you get into, you can be anonymous in our church if you really want to. And you won't, you, if, you, if you play your cards right and slide around here and there, you can, you can go a year in our church and not be asked to do anything, which is a shame. That's our fault. But if that's your goal, shame on you. And it's not because 
It's not because of what I think. It's because of what I know. You're violating Scripture and you will never mature in the faith unless you change and repent and follow biblical truth. It just is not going to happen. So churches that are large, they draw people. And I'm not jealous. It's just like they draw people because you can go there and never be known, never be asked to do absolute. You just go on Sunday morning. You might give a little bit here and there. Go home. You've checked off your church attendance and your life is your own. That's how people look at it. But if you come here, a church of 100, 150, we're going to know who you are. And, and eventually our goal is to get you into the service. But that's the Bible's goal. So right now in your mind, you've got to think, what service am I, if you want to use the word performing, or maybe the service, what service am I giving to the kingdom? Now, folks, it doesn't, you, don't, you don't have to have a title. You don't have to be the chairman of a ministry team or, or have an official role that somebody says, this is the chairman of deacons or this is so-and-so. So that, that's not what I'm talking about. You, you don't have to have a title. Folks, titles don't matter. You know whether you're serving the church. You, you know whether you're giving and serving and, and giving of yourself for the king. You know whether you are or not, whether you have a title or not. I don't care what your titles are. Are you serving the body of Christ? Um, you know, I, again, I'm kind of being repetitive, uh, but I, I served. For, I've served my home church as recreation. I was, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. First Baptist Weaver, First Baptist Foley, First Baptist Newton. Those are all churches, big churches. I served. I'd never been ordained. But they knew I was called. And they knew I was gifted. They never even asked me. I thought about that and they thought about that when the first church, when I went into the pastorate. When a church in Meridian, Mississippi wanted me to their pastor. And they said, well, where were you ordained? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how old it was, 28, 29, <laughs> I hadn't, it didn't even cross my mind that I, about being ordained because those plaques and, I mean, all that's for, and, and those documentations are critical and the Bible commands that as a pastor. But it didn't matter to me. I mean, I served Jesus whether I was ordained or not. And folks, whether you have a title or not, you're called to serve the church. Well, let's, let's read the rest of it. It says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up. That's a great word. The building up. Um, the word house and the word domestic. Building together. That's building up the body of Christ. And this, and this is the body of Christ. This is. Uh, for we, as Romans 12, 5, for we are the body of Christ. This is it. We are the body of Christ in a local expression. So the building up the body of Christ. So how is the body going to be built? The saints do the work of ministry. Isn't that what that says? The saints do, we do the equipping, and the saints do the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And you're thinking that could be ambiguous, but it's not. So he says to mature manhood. And then he gives us that measurement. So we, if we want to take a, a measuring tape and measure it out, metron, measure. So until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to, ma- to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's, that's our goal, is Christ-likeness. This is why I always talk about Christ-likeness or sanctification. Every circumstance that you and I face is an opportunity for Christ-likeness or sanctification. Same thing. For us to pursue being obedient to the Lordship of Christ. Every situation. Having, having the mind of Christ. Acting like Christ. Those are the things that the Bible calls us to do. But folks, it's not going to happen in me and you if we're not committed in the body of Christ, if we're not serving the body of Christ. This is where it begins. So then he says, so that we may no, long, that, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the way, if you ever read about how Paul got to Rome uh, by sea when he was imprisoned, and you can read about it in, in the book of Acts. I mean, the waves of the sea. I mean, it was, it was he, he took a lot of boat trips that were a mess, and so obviously the waves of the sea were, were very, um, uh, he was very aware of, of that, that event, so, he, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So one of the things that serving the church, being equipped at the church, being faithful to pursue Christ's likeness is you will not be carried away by a variety of false doctrines or isms. There's all kind of isms out there, all these distinctive philosophies or practices that people want to be involved in and everybody wants to be one of those isms. This will help you escape all the isms because you want to be committed to the doctrines of Christ and the fullness of Christ. So let me go back and I'll finish reading the the passages so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, think about that, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. For whom, or from whom, Christ the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me read that again. Rather speaking the truth in love, 
we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together, you also use the word knit, body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's you. You're the joints. You're the ones knitting together to make this happen. The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you look at your, if you look at your morning bulletin, I gave the title of the, the sermon only. Well, I changed my mind, but that was after the fact. But I, sh- I want to show you where I got the only from, okay? So I want you to go to Philippians uh, real quick. Let's take a right. Philippians chapter 1. And it does relate. I just decided to use a different passage of Scripture. But I want you to go to, to Philippians chapter 1, and this is where the only comes from. And it's very significant about Paul makes a summation about the Christian life. I mean, only. You know, if you said... You know, if I said, this is the only thing you need to be worried about, and I give you Philippians 1, verse 27, because that's what it says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Of course, you know, this is also a prison epistle. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may may hear of you that you are standing firm. Kind of a military term there. Standing firm. So I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Folks, that is a great verse. So we, we, we stand firm and we strive side by side. That's what he says. Now, the idea of, of standing firm uh, is a military. It's when Rome would, soldiers would be posted, You can even read where soldiers didn't do this in the book of Acts and they thought they would be executed because they didn't fulfill their task. They were put in a place and they were assigned and they stood there and they did their job, even to death. So take a stand. And so the Bible says that you and I, as believers, are to stand firm. Listen to these Bible verses about standing firm. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, the Apostle Paul, either by our spoken word or by the letters that we sent you. That was 2 Thessalonians 2. How about a Romans eleven twenty? They were broken. It says, this is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Un- because of their unbelief. Talking about the Jews being broken. But you are to stand fast through faith so that you do not be cast off. 1 Corinthians 16. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. 2 Corinthians 1.24 now, now that we lord, not that we lord it over you, but we work with you for your joy 
so that you might stand firm in the faith. Let me show you one more. Go back to Ephesians. Let me, let me show you one. Go to Ephesians 6. Let me show you one of the things that Paul says about standing firm. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. And he talks about one way that we stand firm is by putting on the whole armor of God. I'm in, I'm in Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So if, if we're going to stand firm, if that's one of the things that we're willing to do for the sake of the gospel in obedience to Christ, standing firm in our faith, put on the whole armor of God, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't struggle or wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Don't you see what he says? Uh, folks, this is so important theologically. This is, this is the army that's against us. This is a breakdown of the, the, the evil spiritual world that's out there. It's, it, and these are kind of like military levels. Uh, so it's evil, this evil war and... These are kind of the, the, the entities that are against us. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Just think. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on, and he goes on to talk about the belt of truth, which is really the first thing he mentions, putting on the belt of truth. So if you and I, going back to Ephesians 2, want to learn to stand firm, we're going to have to put on, as Paul says, put on the whole armor of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can take the stand. I should mention, mention to you just a couple of things. I've got two or three minutes. Look at your Bibles. I'm back in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And, and am, I, am I correct in, in saying that the church, if it says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, okay, and then it says, to the stature of the fullness of Christ, can I make a statement that the church, whether it's the church gathered or the church scattered, is to display Jesus Christ. Am I right? So we, as a gathered group of believers, we're to display the character of Christ, right? Am I right? And then when we leave this place, who do we represent? We are to display the character of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. And, and really, you really can, like I think about Brother Wade, Wade would be one of those that you would say is, is one of those believers that would not be duped by one of the isms. You could identify people like Brother Wade and many of you in that you are standing firm because you are committed to the Scriptures. You are committed to serving the local body of Christ. Look at verse 15. You think about uh, the beauty of, of you and I as saved sinners being captured by the Lordship of Christ and, and desiring our lives to grow. Look what he says. Folks, there's a lot of things we want to grow in. I mean, I, I, 
Um, a lot of things I want to get better at. A lot of things I know you want to get better at. Um, but look what Paul says. Rather speaking the truth in love. That's as believers. It's hard to do. Speak the truth in love. Number one. Sometimes it's hard to speak the truth. Uh, sometimes you don't even know the truth. Uh, somebody said something yesterday in a, in a social gathering. And they didn't know what they were talking about. And uh, it's, when it comes to biblical truth. You got to say it. I mean, you, you, but you can say it in love. I said, no, I said, no, no, no. It goes back to the book of Genesis. I won't go into the rest of it. But you have to speak, but you have to know, speaking the truth, the beauty of being captured by Christ, knowing that your golden life is to grow up. Look what he says. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This, this beauty of being sold out to be like Christ. Who are you? I mean, what's your goal in life? Is your goal to be a better golfer? Is it to catch a bigger fish? Is it to go on more vacations? Is it to get a bigger four-wheeler or better golf cart? Or What it should be is you want to be like Christ. And you're willing to be sacrificed. You're willing to bear the cross to do that. So folks, there's some things that need to die in my life and in yours in order for us to do these things. Well, let me, let me share with you. Uh, that was my introduction. It's 11 o'clock now. Let me, uh, uh, let me just, I want you to see, I, I'll, I'll just give you one, one or two verses. But I want you how, I've I got to give you my outline because I took the time to make an outline, Okay. And if you don't want to hear this again, let me do the outline. Number one, it's a powerful, it's a powerful pattern that God lays down. Okay, when it's in verse seven, is one example of this powerful pattern. To each one of us, the measure of Christ's gift. Now, this is a this is God's plan. It's a powerful pattern that God has laid out. Every believer. When, when the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost and filled those believers, church was born, and so every believer, when they're born again, are given the Spirit of God, are given as a, you know, as an engagement ring, as a seal. So the Holy Spirit comes and, and tabernacles inside of us. And so this is a powerful pattern right but it's not just powerful it's progressive because it uses these verbs equip grow up move forward so yes it's it's powerful but it's also it's very progressive we're to do we're to do the work of ministry you're moving on it's progressive and i pray to god i, I don't know how you know i'm 63 that's depressing sometimes uh, I met a, I met one of my parents when I was a youth pastor. When I first came to Montgomery, I was youth and education at Highland Avenue. And one of the parents of one of my teenagers was I saw them in Walmart, and uh, so we were talking about him. He had two sons, and and I said, "Well, well, how old is is how how old are has two sons?" And I said, "How old are they?" And uh, the oldest was forty nine. 
how was I must I was a child when I came here. I really was when I went. So we talked about how old I was, but then of course they're the parents of a forty-nine-year-old, so they're they're even older. So it's powerful. It's progressive, folks. And my thoughts about that. And I'll finish. Don't you think? Think of the opportunities that you and I waste. The stuff that I've talked about. This is true every moment of every day. These are the vital signs of the Christian life. I mean, these are the things that ought to be obvious in all of us. And every year, as a pastor, as a shepherd, as an equipper, you sit around and you watch people start well. When I talk about New Year's resolutions. And then they fall away. And then another year's gone. Then they do it again. And they do the same thing. And another year's gone. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. One day you're going to die. And, and the time of working service in the kingdom's over. Then you meet him. And everything that's going to happen in eternity for you begins right here. The future is based on the present. Your role there is based on your role here. So you, this, this, when I say this is a permanent pattern, why else would he say it's eternal life? It's eternal. So your disciplines, your commitments, your sacrifices, your growth, those things will matter where you're going to serve in the eternal kingdom in the days to come because it's a permanent this is a permanent pattern so folks we all need to make a, a new year's resolution don't we to follow the lord jesus christ am i right you have to agree amen because it's true well moses karen it didn't only took me six months for you to get sick of me but and sometimes people don't even last six months but uh Anyway, well, thank you so much. It's been a, it is about six months. I'm in my mind, I may be off. Brother Moses, this is Moses' last service with us. Moses and Karen are going to Crestview. He's going to be pastor in Crestview, which is a church that his father started. What, when, when did he start that church? In 1957. At that church. Wow, well, praise the Lord. That's fantastic. So I'm going to ask Karen and Moses if they would to make their way in the foyer. Do you mind doing that? So our people can leave and hug your neck and shake your hand. Can you do that for me? Let's stand together for prayer. Thank you so much for your presence this morning. God is good. Amen. Is the church important? It is. Let's pray. Father, I think about the, the words of the Lord Jesus who is the Alpha and the Omega, who's the beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come when He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Lord, we, Lord, I, we want to be 
part of the building up of the body of Christ in a lost and dying world. Father, help us as a body of believers to demonstrate what it means to be Christ-like. Father, help us to take the character and the word of Christ to a lost world. Lord, thank you for the church. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I'll see most of you in a little while for the funeral. God bless you.